Join us this May in Las Vegas for the Experiential Marketing Summit, the number one conference for creators of the brand experience. Talk best practices, make connections, and find your next big idea. Visit emsummit.com and use code EMSPOD50 to save $50 off your Experiential Marketing Summit registration. Let's grow! At Exchangers Programmatic I.O. is headed to Las Vegas May 15th to the 17th. Join us for the latest on CTV, commerce, media, privacy, and more. Go to adexchanger.online slash LV for 20% off when you register today. See you at Programmatic I.O. Pre-millennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey there, folks. This is Joe Ruciello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God, your King James Bible. And you know, folks, as always, wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform it is you find yourself listening to us on, it's always my prayer that you also find yourself in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Sword of the Spirit podcast and our Thursday night Bible study. Well, folks, here we are again. It's another week gone by. Can you believe that? That's incredible, isn't it? These, I'm telling you, the, the weeks, the days, the weeks, and the months this year are flying by. I cannot believe that we're already in March. And uh, I, I feel like we just flipped the year just uh, not too long ago. But uh, here we are, though, another Thursday night. I hope you guys had a great week in the Lord. I hope you made it to church at your midweek service. If you have one, hopefully you have one. You know, not too many churches have those midweek services anymore. And that's a, that's a shame, to be quite honest with you. It's a real shame. But uh, hopefully you made it to yours, and uh, hopefully it was a blessing, and hopefully you got to spend some time with the Lord this week in prayer, and I really hope that you got to share the gospel with someone uh, nearby, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, somebody just walking down the street. I hope you were able to do that this week, and I hope you were out, out there planting this precious, precious seed that we have, the Word of God. Now, last Thursday night, we moved into uh, the book of Revelation, uh, well, two Thursday nights ago, we moved into the book of Revelation. Uh, Last Thursday, we looked at Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Now, we didn't spend a tremendous amount of time on it. We only gave it an overview. Uh, We gave an overview of the letter to the seven churches from the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at their historical their doctrinal, and their inspirational applications. We also talked about the condemnations and the commendations that the Lord Jesus Christ had for those particular churches. And then we also talked about something that, uh, and I was right when I said it last week, uh, from the feedback that I've gotten, many of you haven't heard 
of the doctrine of Jezebel uh, prior to uh, last week's show. So that, to me, is a great blessing that I was able to bring something new uh, to you guys. Uh, well, not new in the sense that I just came up with it, but new in the sense that it's the first that many of you have heard that. And uh, that is a great blessing for me, and I am very thankful that, uh, that the Lord used me in that way for that. So uh, tonight, though, tonight, we're going to be getting into uh, Revelation chapter 4. Now, what we find ourselves in right now is the church age, or the age of grace. And uh, this particular age began, you know, for all practical purposes, at the cross, this age in which we live comes to a conclusion in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 with this incredible, amazing event that we call the rapture. Now, the word rapture, it's not a Bible word. It's not in the Bible. It's a word that we apply to this incredible event. Now, getting into this particular chapter, we're not going to get past verse number 1. So I'm just going to prepare you for that now. Uh, verse 1 is so power-packed and so full of stuff that we're going to have to spend some time there. And uh, I'm going to give you a warning ahead of time also on this one. This particular show might be a little longer than uh, what we would normally do. Um, I might cut it at some point and do two shows out of it as, uh, as we're going through. I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on the clock and see how far we're getting. Uh, but uh, if uh, we do stick with it for the entire length of the show, please stick with us. This is a, this is a really important information. This is stuff that you need to know. Now, before we get into it, we're going to ask you to do just two things. First of all, would you please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. And when you get there, head over to our contact section, open up that web form, and why don't you send us over a message? Let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions, comments, cares, or concerns that you might have. And also, please don't forget to send over your prayer requests. Uh, I do read them, and I do spend my private time with the Lord praying over the prayer requests that we receive. So it's a great blessing for me, and I hope it's a blessing for you as well. And uh, we trust that the Lord will answer those prayers. Uh, now, if you don't like to use the web form, that's fine. You could always email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. That's info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Now, also, while you're on the website, folks, would you please also look for that support this podcast button? And when you find it, would you please consider supporting us with a small monthly contribution? You can set that up for $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month. Now, I know it might be hard to commit to a, uh, you know, a monthly recurring contribution like that, especially the way the economy is and the way prices are right now. But if you can't do that, if you can't make that kind of a commitment, we understand that. But would you also consider making a one-time contribution? And if you can do that, you can do it by clicking on the Waygiver button, which is on our website, and Waygiver is just a, uh, a, a Christian crowdfunding uh, operation, much like a GoFundMe or one of the other ones. Uh, the names escape me at the moment, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. Um, or you could uh, scan the Cash App QR code, which is on our website as well. 
But no matter how you decide to go about it, I'd like you to pray about it first. And if the Lord leads you to do it, you know, if these podcasts and these live shows have been a blessing to you in any way, and if you'd like to become an active part of this ministry, your contribution will go a very, very long way, and I would be extremely thankful for it. Your contributions go to help us cover all of our operating expenses. I do not pocket anything out of uh, what we, we get in our support. So all of it goes to uh, paying for the platforms that we're on that require payments, the studio, uh, you know, for materials and such that we get. So uh, it's, we, we really do appreciate it, and it, we're very thankful for it. Now, first and foremost, before we do anything else with the show, I always like to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, for saving me and for, uh, for uh, allowing me this opportunity to take part in the rapture when it comes, and which I'm looking forward to. I am looking forward to the upper taker, not so much the undertaker. But um, so I'm very thankful for that. and I'm thankful that the Lord rescued me and saved me from the fiery pits of hell. Uh, where, unfortunately, the Bible says that the majority of mankind is going to find themselves unless they come to the knowledge of salvation through great, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the shed blood uh, that he spilled for us on the cross of Calvary. I also want to say thank you to the Lord Jesus Christ for allowing me this opportunity to, uh, to sit here every week, twice a week, to open up the Word of God, to kind of pool all of our ignorance together and uh, try to glean something from the Word of God that we can apply to our lives and we can take out into the world with us and that we can use as we witness and uh, as we talk about and give the gospel out uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want to say thank, thank you to all of you who support us prayerfully. Uh, your prayers mean so much to me. Thank you so very, very much. I really do love getting your messages. Uh, you know, when I get an email that says, hey, you know what, we're praying for you, brother. We're praying for you, your family, the ministry. You know, that really is an encouragement to me. And thank you so very, very much for that. Uh, please keep praying for us. We are under spiritual attack constantly. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very discouraging, you know, that the book of Daniel tells us that, that the devil's priority here is to wear down the saints. So, and a lot of the times, those attacks that come, they do kind of wear you down. And I have been there many, many times, and uh, I'm thankful that I had good people around me to keep me encouraged and keep me going. And uh, your, prayer, your prayer letters, your prayer, uh, you're letting me know you're praying for me. Thank you so very, very much for that. Also want to say thank you to the, all of you who already support us financially. Again, your contributions and your financial support really do go a long way. Thank you so very much for that. And I also want to say thank you, of course, to every single one of our listeners, everybody who listens in faithfully to everything we put out there. God bless you for that, and thank you for it. Because of you and because of your listening, your, your downloads, the plays, uh, you have kept us on the charts on our favorite app, Good Pods. And uh, we are so appreciative of that. Uh, and also, it, you know, it boosts our algorithms. And when people search for a Bible study podcast like ours, we're there in the search results. And it's a blessing for that because we're able to give the gospel out. And we do try to give the gospel out in every single show and every, every single podcast that we do. And we try to do it in a way that's easily understood, that doesn't wear you down with a bunch of you know, deep theological terms and, and concepts. We'd, we'd keep it as simple as possible, just like the gospel is. 
So thank you so very much for, for that, and please keep it going. Now, folks, if you are in the Eagle Pass area and you are looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, why don't you pay us a visit over at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? We meet at 664 North Monroe. Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study meets at 7 p.m. For more information, all you need to do is visit the church's Facebook page. Just log into Facebook, search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass, and once you're there, you'll find lots of really helpful information and also episodes of this podcast. And, of course, we are thankful to uh, our pastor, John Monk, who is also my friend, uh, for allowing us the opportunity to use the church's Facebook page. I don't have a Facebook account, so uh, it's a real blessing for us to be able to use the church's Facebook page, and also to the folks that maintain the page and keep it updated. Thank you so very much for what you do. God bless you for it. But folks, wherever it is that you're listening, please, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, how about some announcements? All right, folks, don't forget Sermon Sunday, uh, every Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, We look forward to having you there. It's been a real blessing to meet with you guys on Sunday afternoons. And uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, tunes in to the live show and, of course, also the downloads and plays. Again, thank you so very, very much for that. Sermon Sunday, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern. Now, folks, uh, if you are interested in prepping, I'd like to introduce you to the Contra Radio Network. What's the Contra Radio Network? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked. The Contra Radio Network is a single podcast housing nearly a dozen talented podcast and vidcast hosts and artists from around the country who release content daily. The Contra Radio Network podcast releases 15 to 20 shows a week, depending on the current events, and... uh, There are absolutely no issues that are off-limits to any of these patriots. Hey, you want a breakdown of current events? We got it. You want to know more about preparedness and self-sufficiency? We got it. You want a guy driving around ranting like a lunatic? You know something? We've got that too. You want to hear about politics, Bible studies, sports, camping, firearms, and more? Contra Radio Network has it all covered in spades. Just head on over to www.crn.best. That's www.crn.best. The Contra Radio Network is also found on all of your major podcasting platforms as well. Now, folks, don't forget to sign up for our programming announcements on our website. Just head over to swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Look for that uh, programming announcements subscription box, which is on the bottom of the homepage of the website. Just fill it out. Get yourself on the mailing list. uh, And all it is is just an email that we'll send out from time to time when we are making any kind of a change to our broadcast schedule. 
Uh, we don't sell your information. We're not giving it away. Uh, it all stays here with me. It's not going anywhere. Uh, and we're not going to load you up with a bunch of stuff that you're not interested in getting. So head on over to our website, com. Look for the programming announcement subscription box on our website and uh, get on the list and stay in the know. Also on our website, don't forget to look for the Sword Swag page. Uh, what's on the Sword Swag page? Well, we have these beautiful Sword of the Spirit podcast coffee mugs, of which, of course, I have mine right here. And tradition is I must slurp for you. Mm. Well, well, today's hot beverage is uh, some green tea with honey and lime. And that's because I have a little irritation in the throat here today. And I've uh, got a little cough going on. Mm. Really good stuff. And uh, what makes it taste even better is this really nice Sword of the Spirit podcast coffee mug, which you can get for a $25 contribution on our website. And we also have our Sword of the Spirit podcast T-shirts, which I am wearing right now. And uh, you can get that in men's and women's cuts for a contribution of $35. Now, you could uh, just click that button that's on that page that says Info and uh, just send us over your mailing information and your sizes if you want the shirt and how many mugs you want. And uh, we will send you the link where you can make your contribution. And then once we get that squared away... Your mugs and T-shirts will be on the way. All right, so head over to SwordOfTheSpiritPodcast.com, look for the Sword Swag tab, and uh, get yourself a mug, a T-shirt, both, as many as you want. All right, uh, last announcement. Uh, we have been praying about and thinking about moving the Thursday night Bible study to Tuesday night, and there are a couple of reasons for it. We talked about it briefly last week. So uh, please continue to pray for it. We have not yet come to a decision. I have not yet been uh, uh, comfortable with the idea of making the move. So uh, as of right now, we're staying with Thursday night. But please continue to pray about it, and uh, I would be very thankful for those prayers. All right, folks, uh, we are going to take our first break of the uh, evening, uh, and then we're going to come in and get into our prayer requests. Now, because of the fact that... Um, Tonight's show might be longer than usual because we have a lot of information we need to cover. Uh, we're not going to do a line-by-line read through all the prayer lists, uh, and, uh, uh, but we will pray specifically for those that are in need of salvation because that is the most important thing that uh, we have to pray about. And uh, we'll just mention a couple of updates uh, through the prayer list, and then we'll just pray through the list as a whole in, in, one, in one shot, this way we can get into the Bible study a little bit faster than we normally do, Like again, because we have a lot of ground to cover. All right, so folks, this is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers, and we'll be back right after this. Discover your food intolerances. Feeling bloated, suffering from stomach pain, nausea, or diarrhea? Struggling with nervousness or headaches? Get your 7 Drops at-home blood test and boost your well-being. Order your test kit now at 7drops.com. That's 7, the number, D-R-O-P-S, dot com. The cool weather brings out animals that lay low when it's hot, and there's plenty to see at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium. Explore the Reptile Building, Manatee Coast, Animal Encounters Village, behind-the-scenes tours, and much more. Visit ColumbusZoo.org and plan your adventure. With any dream, the wind won't always be at your back. 
The sun won't always be shining, and some rain is going to fall. American Family Insurance is like a good solid roof that you can trust to protect your biggest dreams. With plans that could save you up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto. Also, you can continue to dream fearlessly, no matter what comes your way. American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company assigned its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, everyone. This is JJ, the co-founder of Good Pods. If you haven't heard of it yet, Good Pods is like Goodreads or Instagram, but for podcasts. It's new, it's social, it's different, and it's growing really fast. There are more than 2 million podcasts, and we know that it is impossible to figure out what to listen to. On Good Pods, you follow your friends and podcasters to see what they like. That is the number one way to discover new shows and episodes. You can find Good Pods on the web or download the app. Happy listening! Jesus 
Amen. Amen. You know, last week we uh, added that song to our rotation, and I, I, I love it. I really do. It really gets me going. It gets my heart pumping. It gets me excited to get into what we're going to be getting into tonight, uh, even more so. Uh, and uh, that is the West Coast Baptist College. The name of the song is Sing to the King. Uh, again, I, I, I don't understand why I haven't had that that track in our, our playlist uh Prior to last week, I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something is definitely wrong with me. Amen? Amen. All right, folks, welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast, in case you didn't know who we were. My name is Joe Russiello, and uh, we are going to be getting into Revelation chapter 4 in just a few minutes, but we're up to our prayer request segment of the show, and uh, we're going to talk about just a couple of quick things here. Uh, we're going to talk about folks that are in need of salvation. Salvation, my friends, salvation is the single most important decision that you will ever, ever make. No question about it. Uh, salvation is the... My dogs are barking. I don't know why. <laughs> so it kind of distracted me a little bit there. Sorry. Uh, salvation is the most important decision you're ever going to make, folks, because it has eternal consequences. And those consequences are spending an eternity in hell. Hell is the worst place imaginable. I would tell you to head on back into uh, the show's archives and look for the show that we did called The Reality of Hell and listen to it. Listen to it carefully. Hell is the worst place imaginable. So many people think that when they die and they end up going to hell, that they're going to be there for a big party with all of their friends. No, that's not the case. Hell is the worst place imaginable. Hell is a place of everlasting torment, everlasting fire, and there is no escape from hell. None whatsoever. So, folks, please, please, salvation is the most important thing that you will ever, ever have to decide upon. Don't wait. Now is the time, the age of grace, and you're going to hear about it tonight when we get into our lesson on Revelation chapter 14, chapter 4. So, uh, so please, folks, listen carefully tonight. Make this decision today. Don't wait. Don't wait. Tonight, we're praying for my mom, Diane. We're praying for my sister, Laura. We're praying for David in New York. We're praying for all of the unsaved members of the Baldino family. We're, pl- pr- we're praying for Jackie. And uh, a young man in our church, Manuel, has asked prayer for his mom for salvation. Again, folks, salvation is so important. If you have any friends or family, coworkers, uh, people that you just know, acquaintances, they need to get saved. Give them the gospel. Give them the gospel. All right, now, let's pray for those folks that are in need of salvation. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the gift of salvation. Lord, uh, the gift of salvation, this free, amazing gift that you have given us is something that we cannot and should not and must not let go by. Lord, we know that we can't work our way to salvation, that salvation is only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Heavenly Father, we pray and we lift up Diane, we lift up Laura, we lift up David, we lift up the unsaved members of the Baldino family. 
We lift up Jackie. We lift up Manuel's mother. Father, we pray that you would just touch them, that you would raise up folks around them that could give them the gospel. Father, we pray, Lord, that they would receive that gospel, and Lord, that they would be saved. Father God, we ask you to do this today, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, going down into the uh, prayer list here, uh, we're praying for Doug Turner, uh, who's on our sick sick list. We're praying for Pastor Martin. We're praying for a young boy named Hezekiah, who's going for a biopsy. Uh, We're praying for Robert with a pinched nerve, Mary Perez for cancer, my mom in the hospital. uh, She's in the intensive care unit, so we're praying for her. That's why it's so important that she gets saved. Uh, We're praying for my sister, Laura, with a slipped disc. We're praying for Bernice, um, uh, who's been uh, battling cancer and going for a new round of treatments. We're praying for Janae uh, for uh, a heart condition that she's been struggling with. We're praying for uh, Furman, who has cancer, and I have an update on, uh, on his uh, situation uh, when we come down to it. Uh, we're also praying for Sharon Baldino, who has cancer, Martin Mata with lymphoma, uh, Caitlin's grandmother, who is in ICU, and uh, for Daniel Villarreal uh, with leukemia. We're also praying down on our general prayer list. We're praying for uh, my brother-in-law, Jude. We're praying for uh, his business and for his traveling. We're praying for Federico Salinas. We're praying for Angel and her pregnancy. Uh, Alex, her husband, for his, his current job. We're praying for Isabella for her walk with the Lord. We're praying for Jessica for her walk with the Lord. Alex Herrera for his walk with the Lord, for a hedge of protection about him. Uh, for his ability to get his car back and for his care of his dad and for his overall health. We're praying for Furman. Uh, We received some great news today that he was able to be moved into another hospital, and uh, the transition went very smoothly, and we're very thankful for that, and that's definitely an answer to prayer. Uh, His his son Alex also asked for prayer for him to be able to get settled before he returns for work, which it looks like it has, and also for the Lord to... uh, let him make it through to the rapture. And then we're also continuing to pray for the Purcells as they are uh, traveling around uh, to uh, San Antonio, back and around for uh, stock shows and such. And then also we have our unspoken prayer requests, the unspoken prayers of our hearts. We're lifting up Eduardo Rodriguez, Mike Elizalde, Manuel, Larissa, and myself. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all of those on our prayer list. Father God, for those on our sick list, we pray that you would touch each and every one of them. Lord, that you would bring healing, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring grace. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who answers prayer. Lord, for those that are on our general prayer list, Lord, we pray that you would meet those needs as well. Lord, that you would touch each one, that you would give them the ability to meet the tasks that are set before them, that you would protect those that are in need of protection. Lord, that you would uh, continue to work in those that are uh, working towards a particular goal. Lord, we pray for those that are walking, uh, that are trying to walk as close to you as possible. Lord, we lift them up to you when we ask you, Lord, just to, to bless them as they do so. And then, Lord, for all of the unspoken prayers of our hearts, Father, you know what those needs are. Father, we lift them up to you. And Heavenly Father, we just ask you just to bless them. Lord, we ask you just to answer all of these prayers according to your perfect will for our lives, for your honor and for your glory. And we will thank you for it. 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, folks, if you have any prayer requests whatsoever, please feel free to email us. You could go through our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and uh, send us a message through the website, or you can go to our email address, info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and you can send us your prayer requests through there. If you are on Spreaker, I forgot to mention it earlier, if you are logged into Spreaker and have an account for Spreaker, you can also uh, log into Spreaker there and get into our chat room and send us a message through that as well. All right. Let's see what we got. No uh, questions from the uh, listeners today. No birthdays to mention. Great. We are going to take our second break of the evening here, and that'll give you a chance to go get your King James Bible, get yourself a cup of coffee, and uh, maybe a bottle of water. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into today's Bible study of Revelation chapter 4. We'll be back right after this. Like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. We'll be back right after this. With any dream, the wind won't always be at your back. The sun won't always be shining. And some rain is going to fall. American Family Insurance is like a good solid roof that you can trust to protect your biggest dreams. With plans that could save you up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto. Also, you can continue to dream fearlessly, no matter what comes your way. American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at AmFam.com. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company assigned its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I can't help but think about the Lord and all the things He's done. He meets my every need. You know He's been so good to me. And I can't help but praise the Lord for all He's done. For all He's still be many more if i could mention only one i'd have to thank him for his son and that's enough to praise the lord for all he's done for all he's done
This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. Amen, amen, and amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and uh, we are going to get into our Bible study in just a moment. I did receive a message uh, on the break from one of our listeners, Angela, who's asked for prayer, so we're going to pray for Angela. Lord, uh, we just want to lift up Angela to you for your prayer tonight. Father God, we just uh, we don't know exactly what the need is at the moment, but Lord, we just pray that... Uh, that you would answer uh, her prayer and her need according to your perfect will for her and for her life. And Father God, we just commit it to you, and we'll thank you for that. And Heavenly Father, before we get into our study tonight, Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, bless the reading, the teaching, and the preaching of your holy word. Father God, we just ask you to uh, open up hearts, minds, and ears as we uh, study these wonderful and profound truths that are contained in your precious book. Father God, we thank you for each one that's listening tonight, and Lord, we just ask you just to uh, just minister to our hearts. Lord, give me the words to speak, and uh, Lord, allow us to uh, work our way through this broadcast tonight without any of the technical difficulties that we've been going through over the last couple of shows, and we will thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. All right, folks. Let's grab our Bibles, and here we go. Episode number 75 is underway. Grab your Bibles and open them up to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, now after what? Well, after the message that Jesus Christ delivered to the churches... Now, now, this is kind of a hard thing to figure out if you don't think about it for a while, because um, those were, were seven actual historical churches in the church age that we looked at in the last uh, two chapters, chapters two and three. And it, it, there seems to be um, a doctrinal emphasis on the tribulation. Well, why is that? Well, because uh, Revelation chapter one 
uh, we see things which must be hereafter. So doctrinally, what's the Lord doing? And he's thrusting the, the, the whole thing into the future. So after this, after what? After the message that's delivered to the churches. What God's doing is saying, after the church age, that's the, that's the age that you and I live in. After the church age. After this I looked. Well, who looked? John, the Apostle John. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. All right, so what we have in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, is a vivid picture and a demonstration of the rapture. But we're going to take some time here, and we're going to, we're going to analyze it from, from some other viewpoints. So what we find ourselves in right now is the church age, or the age of grace, which began, for all practical purposes, at the cross. This age in which we live concludes in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, with this incredible and amazing event we call the rapture. All right, now let's look at the verse. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. So, all right, so there's a door that opens in heaven in Revelation 4, verse 1, and someone is going up. There's not another door opening again until chapter 19, and in chapter 19, something is coming down, and we'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 19, but you need to keep that in mind. So, the church of Jesus Christ, now, when we say say church, we're not talking about a particular church, okay? We're not talking about the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, you know, the Episcopal Church. We're not talking about a church. When we say the Church of Jesus Christ, we mean the body of Christ, and that's Ephesians chapter 5. So anyone who's trusted Jesus Christ, their Savior, is part of that church, regardless of the denominational tag that's hanging over your head. All right, now, they leave. Where do they go? They go to heaven. Now, I know, I know this sounds, especially to an unbeliever's mind, that this sounds really incredible, right? And when I was thinking about this and in preparation to teach it, you know, I thought, man, you know, as incredible as this sounds, and it does, I mean, let's face it, right? no matter how you slice it, it sounds really far out. You take a guy who's never heard this doctrine before, and you sit him down and you say, okay, now look, here's what's going to happen. Everybody who's in Christ, who's trusted Christ, who is a believer, one day, someday, a horn's going to blow, the voice of the archangel, and we're out of here. We're gone. He says, come on, you got to be kidding. And yet I, I thought about that in reference to things in the world that the world at least, you know, maybe half accepts, you know, m maybe not totally. And I thought about it in terms of like Hollywood productions that I've seen. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I was flipping around the television a few nights ago and I came across a movie and it's just fantasy. You know, you see a movie, you start to think, you know, wow, you know, I kind of wonder if, you know, but anyway, I, I was flipping around the television a few nights ago and I came across a, an old movie and it's a movie that I have not seen and Man, I don't know how long. And I don't know how many of you have seen this or maybe you remember this, but do you remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind? 
Do you remember that one? Well, the theme of it is this. And I, I do watch these once in a while because I like to find the biblical theme in things. And, and here's the theme. Different people across the United States, all unknown to, to one another, all of a sudden, sudden get this kind of a fixation with a tower in Wyoming, which is an actual place, by the way. It's called the Devil's Tower. And it's just a big piece of rock that comes up several hundred feet out of the ground. Now, all of a sudden, they get this fixation on this thing. And even though they've never seen it before, um, and, 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 and through all of these invisible gravitational forces that no one can understand, these people, for some reason, start to migrate to Devil's Tower. Now, in due time, uh, and it's all barricaded off by the government, all right? It's a big government project. Uh, in time, this, uh, this huge flying saucer shows up and hovers over this thing, and, and they find a way to use computerized music to communicate with it. And, you know, it's a wild thing. It's a, it's a wild story. And when you know the Bible, you start to see Bible undertones in the whole thing. So eventually the door opens up and, and these aliens come down and they communicate for a little while and then some earth beings, you know, walk in and <laughs> off they go. Well, then who walks out? Uh, you got a bunch of uh, World War II aviators, uh, you know, those guys that were lost in the Navy planes over Devil's Triangle. And that's a fact. You can look it up. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure you know about that. Um, so the innuendo here is, is that... Uh, it has some kind of relationship with the devil's triangle and the devil's tower. That's the implication of the movie. Now, you watch that stuff and you say, yeah, 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 Revelation chapter 13. You know, you might be saying, well, what's Revelation 13? Well, we're not there yet, okay? You're going to have to wait till we get there. But Revelation 13 ties that thing in, and it begins to show you. Now, Revelation chapter 9, we're not there yet, but... You begin to see it. All right? Now, you see the overtones of these things. Now, as you go through this and you begin to look at some of those things that the world has put, you know, at least an element of credence in, and I'm not saying they would blatantly say, oh, yeah, you know, this is it. But the whole intention of the thing is for people to walk away and say, what if? That's probably a little bit more than just entertainment involved. So is this really so far out, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1? Well, we'll examine that as we go on. Now, the Bible teaches the rapture of the church. Okay? So the church is going up. Now, what then ensues is a seven-year period of time. Now, most of the book of Revelation is dedicated to this seven-year period of time. Revelation 4 through 19 is dedicated to seven years of time in the future. And then Revelation 20 through Revelation 22 takes us through the millennium and, and then launches us into eternity. Now, interestingly, you have a 1,000-year millennial kingdom, and God gives you one chapter on it. He gives you plenty of other chapters in the Old Testament, but in the book of Revelation... Most of the book is dedicated to this seven-year period that's coming up in the near future. Well, if God would dedicate that many chapters to seven years, you can 
really appreciate the fact that they must be critically important to us and important for us to understand. There's something about those seven years that God wants us to understand. And that's true because in these chapters, 4 through 19, you'll see that what God does is he walks us through the tribulation four times. Now, that's not a coincidence in any way. The Lord does that several times. For example, uh, you know, the Lord walks you through the life of Jesus Christ four times, doesn't he? Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. Four times he walks you through the life of Christ. So four times he walks you through the tribulation in these chapters. And you'll see that thing as we work our way through it. So this whole seven-year period of time known as the tribulation, and there are se- several other names for it in your Bible you know, for this time. You have um, Daniel's 70th week, uh, the time of Jacob's sorrow, uh, and, and phrases like that that all refer to this seven-year period of time that's initiated by the rapture of the church, which we're going to examine in some detail momentarily. Now, at the conclusion of this seven-year period of time, another door is opened in heaven in Revelation chapter 19. And again, the church is walking through the door, except this time in Revelation 19, it's coming down. And we call this the second advent, because it's being led this time by Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you've heard it. You've heard the word frequently used. It's the term Armageddon. You've seen it in the media uh, frequently over the years. Uh, You've seen it in movies. Uh, But where is Armageddon biblically? Well, Armageddon is at the end of the tribulation, at the end of the seven years. And we'll study that two different times in detail in the book of Revelation. But that's where it takes place. Now, people say, well, when's the world coming to an end? You know, interestingly, someone said a uh, hundred years ago, all the preachers of the world said uh, the, the world was coming to an end, and all the scientists said, ah, you're crazy. Right now, a hundred years later, the scientists are all saying the world is coming to an end, and unfortunately, most of the preachers are saying, ah, you're crazy. So when are these things? Now, strictly from a biblical point of view, We're going to study some of these things. Back to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Hereafter. Well, hereafter what? After the church age. Right after the rapture which things must be hereafter. So from the rapture, right on through. All right, hereafter. Take your Bibles, and let's look over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and let's see how this thing matches up. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Now, for those of you who have been listening to the show for a while, you know that not too long ago we went through First and Second Thessalonians, so I'll, hopefully you remember some of the things that we're going to be talking about and some of the things that we talked about in First Thessalonians chapter 4 when we studied it. But uh, we're going to First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 14. First Thessalonians 4, verse 14. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. All right, now with those verses in mind, what do we read in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1? And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Now notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 there's a voice and there's a trumpet. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 there's a voice and there's a trumpet. Now, I'm not going to take the time to run you through a lot of the scriptures on this particular subject, but when you read your Bible, if you'll begin to look for all the types of the rapture, it, it becomes incredible. You have, uh, you have blind Bartimaeus, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. Now, here's a very profound one, a very profound one. You have Joshua, the children of Israel, and Jericho. And if you remember, we studied uh, in a message we did called The Captain of Our Salvation. We actually talked about this uh, in, in some detail in uh, Joshua chapter 6. Uh, but if you study that thing out in the book of Joshua, what did they do? Well, they shouted, they blew their trumpets, and they went up into the city. So what I'm telling you is your Bible, your Bible is full of types that laid that thing down time after time after time. Now, the other really, really well-known passage of Scripture for the rapture is found over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's just take a, a look over there just briefly, and uh, we'll get a little more of an idea before we go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I mean, this entire chapter really is a discussion of the resurrection. Paul comes down here, and then verse 49, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, And as we have borne the image of the earthy, all right, so you are presently bearing the image of the earthy. Well, in this particular chapter, who is the earthy? Who is the earthy? Adam. Adam is the earthy. Now, a lot of people misquote the scripture. You know, they run around saying, well, aren't we all a child of God? Did you ever hear anybody say that? I mean, I've heard that so many times over the years. No, we're not all a child of God. You can't even prove that. Not, you can't even prove that biblically. They say, well, wasn't Adam a son of God? Yeah, uh, the genealogy in Matthew declares Adam to be the son of God, but do you know who everyone was thereafter, biblically? Well, everybody after that was the son of Adam. I am a son of uh, I am a son of Adam. You are a son of, of Adam. Uh, you know, so, and because I'm a son of Adam, I bear the image of the earthy. So here we are in First Corinthians 15, and let's look look back at verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, that's a wild doctrine. I mean, this is, this is something I wouldn't even show you in a Sunday service. 
But considering this is a Bible study and this is a revelation study, you know, it's supposed to be a notch above Sunday service. Uh, you know, in Sunday service, you know, you dish out a lot of milk at the Sunday service. Well, we're going to dish out a little meat here. So if you can chew it, chew it. If you can't, do your best. Now, you don't want to lose your place here because we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 15. But that thing right there, we need to concentrate on that a little bit. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, that statement is, is in, in reference to this great event that we're referring to as the rapture. So what does it mean to bear the image of the heavenly? All right, you can forget, your keep, you can forget about keeping your finger in Revelation 4. Uh, but we're definitely coming back to 1 Corinthians 15, okay? Let's flip over to 1 John chapter 3. So keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 15, flip over to 1 John chapter 3, and let's get a little more cross-reference here. Uh, And there's a bunch, all right? But I'm just going to show you a couple, like maybe two or three. Now, the Bible says that I bear an earthy image right now. I mean, the thing is clear, but I'm anticipating bearing a heavenly image. But what does it mean to bear an image? Well, from a more mundane viewpoint that we can all understand, um, I bear some similarities of my father. Okay? I bear a certain image. Now, if you look at the thing from a bigger picture, we all, every one of us, bear the image of Adam, right? We all bear the image of him. That's what you're bearing right now through Adam. Now, at the rapture, at the rapture, you're going to bear another one. Well, what is it? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now are we, present tense, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So in other words, you don't yet look like what you're going to look like. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, you know, some pastors say, and I've never really said this. I I wonder about it, to be honest with you. You know, truthfully, honestly, I'm not sure that I can even give you an absolute answer on it. But uh, some have concluded with these particular verses that at the rapture, we're all going to be uh, a 33-and-a-half-year-old male that looks exactly like Jesus Christ. Now, all the men out there are saying, amen. All the women are saying, uh, not so sure about that. Well, we'll find that out as we read 1 Corinthians 15. Like I said, though, I don't teach that as an absolute doctrine. I'm not completely convinced, but it says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All right, now, so the idea of it is that in some mysterious, unusual way, you're going to bear the image of Jesus Christ. That's not so bad when you think about it. It's not bad at all. It's a good deal. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. There's a Bible study. We're going to be flipping. 1 Corinthians 15, and let's look at verse 50. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. Okay, now, so the thing is a mystery. If it's a mystery, 
you'll never figure the thing out in its entirety, right? You're never going to get a 100% picture of this if it's a mystery. And that's been an amazing thing. It, I mean, it seems like, it, you know, it, it seems like all the scholars have been spending time trying to figure out the mysteries when God plainly tells you it's a mystery, you know? I mean, that doesn't mean that you can't get some glimmer of it, that you can't get some kind of a, a, a big picture, but you know, you're going to miss some of this stuff because it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. All right, Revelation 4, verse 1, there's a trumpet. First Thessalonians chapter 4, there's a trumpet. First Corinthians chapter 15, there's a trumpet, you see? For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. All right, so this rapture doesn't only affect those that are alive on the earth that are in Christ, but it's also affecting those that have gone on before in this age who are presently dead. Their graves, you know, their bodies are in a grave somewhere. And then all of a sudden, there's an instantaneous change. This flesh is termed corruptible but it's going to be changed into that which is incorruptible. All right? And we shall be changed. Verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So whatever it is I'm going to look like, it's going to be a change of my flesh. It's going to be an immortal kind of change. Now, this is what we call a resurrected body. You say... Well, what's the body going to be like? Well, honestly, I don't know, <laughs> all right? But I know its capabilities. It's a body that has no blood, for it says, remember, it says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So it's a body, and the best description we have of this body is the body of Jesus Christ after the resurrection. And that body was subject to an entirely different set of laws than this body is. Its whole molecular structure is completely different. Now, if you recall, that body could walk through a wall. It did, didn't it? That body could appear and disappear at will, and it did. That body could travel uh, who knows how many times the speed of light. When Jesus was in the garden shortly after the resurrection and, 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 uh, and, uh, and, and, Martha finally, I'm sorry, Mary finally recognized him and he said, don't touch me for I have not yet ascended unto my father. And then it was a short time later that he invited Thomas to touch him. So wherever heaven is, and we're going to get a clue to that in this chapter before we're done, we're going to get a clue of where heaven is, you know, where Jesus went. And what I'm telling you is that that resurrected body is not subject to the same thing. It's not subject to the gravitational pull. Now, as you you study your Bible, you begin to realize that there are always two laws that that are in effect at all times. There's a natural set of laws, you know, the law of gravity, the law of death, um, uh, the second law of thermodynamics, you know, perpetual degeneration, you know, those kinds of laws. They're in effect. But those are natural laws. And then there's a set of supernatural laws that oftentimes supersede the first set of laws. Jesus willfully 
and voluntarily, Philippians chapter 2, subjected himself to the first natural set of laws when he lived his life on this earth. But after his resurrection, he went to the second set of laws, which included the actual physical construction of his body. So you say, uh, you know, the Bible says, and we just read it, you know, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Well, if it has no flesh, can it be seen? Well, sure it can be seen. How can it be seen if there's no flesh? Now, the Bible says that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It also says that no man hath seen God at any time. So is that a contradiction? No, not at all. You see, God manifests himself in three ways. God the Father, who is a spirit, who has never been seen at any time. God the Son, who is God, 1 Timothy 3.16. God made manifest in the flesh. So when Jesus Christ was on earth, you could literally see him in a fleshly form. And, and then there's God, the Holy Spirit. You say, now, wait a minute. God's a spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, you can't see him. Now, I want you to think with me here. Think with me. Sometimes your Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. You can see a ghost. You can't see a spirit. You can see a ghost. So you say you believe in ghosts? I'm just telling you that you can see a ghost. Now, what's a ghost? What's a ghost? Something with a sheet over it? Thank you, John, for your profound piece of knowledge in the chat room. <laughs> so what is a ghost? Back when I was a kid, I remember a little cartoon character, and maybe you do too, and they, they, they made... They did a remake of it a few years ago. You know, Casper, the, the friendly little ghost. Do you remember that? And he's portrayed there. And, you know, he could be seen, you know, as a body of sorts, but yet it's a different kind of body. It's not subjected to the same set of laws that your body is uh, presently subjected to. Now, why does the Bible refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit on some occasions and the Holy Ghost on other occasions? Why is that? Because what God is doing, he's showing you the different aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he works purely as a spirit, but as a ghost, in the sense that he assumes a bodily form. Now, when you're saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, he literally moves into you. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He assumes a bodily form. All right, do you remember Matthew chapter 27? Matthew chapter 27, right after the resurrection, and it says, many of the dead that slept rose again. And then for a short period of time, they were walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Now, I, folks were undoubtedly freaking out, <laughs> you know? And I, I, it doesn't say that, but I can imagine, you know, as I think this thing through, 
So you have the Godhead. And you have in the Godhead, you have one that cannot be seen, one that can be seen, and one that operates back and forth between both sets of laws. Now, what's that a picture of? Now, you're filled. You are occupied as a child of God with the Holy Ghost right now. At the rapture, something happens to this corruptible, and it becomes incorruptible. And all of a sudden, you can travel. You can walk right through the wall. It's incredible when you think about the possibilities of it. It's incredible. All right, let's go on. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So there's a change that this flesh is anticipating. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, verse 54, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the victory over? Well, the victory is over death. Look back in verse 44. Verse 44. No, sorry, verse 42. Verse 42, let's go there. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. All right, so this new body is somehow going to have a glorified aspect to it. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there's a spiritual body. So this image somehow is a spiritual body. All right, now let's run out some reference. Let's run out some reasons for the rapture. Let's run out some reasons for the rapture. Why does this event, from a biblical viewpoint, why is it compelled to take place? Why is it that God's people are waiting for this? Why does the Bible teach about this? Why does it have to take place? Well, first of all, because a marriage has to be completed. Let's go over to Revelation 19 for a moment. For a moment. Revelation 19. Now, now, I realize that we're not even off verse 1 of chapter 4, and like I told you already, I purposely intended to spend a lot of time on this subject. And that's because this is an initiation point. You know, this, this is a launching pad. This is the springboard for the next, you know, for chapters 4 through 19. It's, it, it is absolutely critical that we understand the launching pad. We have got to get this right. All right? Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of, a, of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. All right, who's the Lamb? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb. He's referred to as a Lamb 22 times in the book of Revelation alone. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Well, who's his wife? The church. 
Now, again, we're not talking about the Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic. We're talking about the body of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. The church is his bride. He's the bridegroom, and the church is the bride. And you find that over in the Song of Solomon, and you see that in Isaiah. You'll see that in Malachi. You'll see that in Ephesians. You see that in Romans chapter 7. You see that all throughout your Bible. All right, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now over in Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth, You come hither at mealtime. And Boaz is a picture of Christ, and Ruth is a picture of the church. And she's not even an Israelite. She's a Gentile. She's a Moabite. She's alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Folks, that's us. That's us. And Boaz says, you come hither at mealtime. And she came. And then what does it say? It says that she sat down by the reapers. Now, in your Bible, in your Bible, who are the reapers? Who are the reapers? Well, you might not know yet because we haven't gotten there, but in Revelation chapter 6, you'll see soon, reapers are angels. She sat down by the reapers. So who did she sit down by? She sat down by angels. Whoa, we're angels. Heaven. This thing is rich, man. It's rich. Now, reasons for the rapture. Number one, so that a marriage can be completed. So in other words, what does Christ do? He calls his bride home. Now, what's the classic example in your Bible of someone looking for a bride? Do you know? Isaac. Isaac. And what's the story? Well, just in case you're not familiar with it, let's, let's go over there, okay? Uh, Abraham said to his servant, I have a son, Isaac. I want you to go and find a wife, uh, find a wife for him. So the servant then launches off with uh, a whole train full of camels and goods and so on for a dowry, and he goes into a far country. And uh, through a set of circumstances that God prearranged, uh, and uh, you know, he brings back a woman named Rebecca. Now, Rebecca comes, and Isaac takes her as, as his wife. So the servant in this story is a picture of the Holy Spirit out searching for a bride for Isaac, the son. Now, who's Isaac a picture of? Jesus Christ. It couldn't be a clearer picture because in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is told to take Isaac on the mountain and sacrifice him. And then what happens at the last split second, God says, hey, there's a ram in the thicket. Well, what do lambs become? Rams. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All right, so a marriage has to take place. A marriage has to take place. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Let's get this down just a little bit more. The book of Matthew. Now, I'm taking a lot of time with this because I want you to get the launching pad. All right, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 and verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again, by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. 
Oh boy, that's a tip-off right there. That should, be, that should be a tip-off right there. A marriage for his son. I mean, you almost know, if you didn't read any further, what this thing is going to characterize. God the Father is making a marriage for his son. Verse 3, And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. So he's sending out his servants, and he's trying to get some folks to come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So you see what's being pictured here? Is the attitude of most people when they're invited to the wedding of the son. I don't have time for that. I'm busy. You know, don't bother me. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now, if you understand the parable, the servants that are being slain are the prophets that were very often just that. They were martyred. All right, verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. All right, now, do, do you know what's going on here? Well, there's some cities being burned up. That's what the tribulation is all about, burning us some cities. And we'll see that. Verse 8, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, the old Jewish wedding, how it, was, how it would work was like this. You would show up. You would show up to the wedding. And it didn't matter, matter whether you were rich or you were poor. Everyone looked alike. Because you shed your duds and you put on a garment that was provided for you by the host. He would provide you with the garment. And everyone would look alike. It wasn't a fashion show. You know, it wasn't where people came to impress one another. It was entirely different. Everyone looked alike. And they were provided with a garment given by the host. So you can see the implications here regarding salvation. And so this one guy tried to sneak in without a wedding garment, and he got nailed. And then he's speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what happens to this dude. Out of here. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So that whole thing right there, what Jesus is doing, and, and you can spend hours teaching that parable. What Jesus is doing is he's introducing the idea of a coming wedding that a king is hosting for his son. It's clear. It's absolutely clear. All right, let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven, verse 1, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. All right, now. Make a little note in the margin of your Bible, right there next to verse 1. Went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
And what that's going to match up to, and you'll see it when we get there, is Revelation chapter 10. So right next to verse 1, write down Revelation 10. So Revelation chapter 10, and we'll save that for then. Verse 3. Uh, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward also came the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know, not, know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. All right, now what's going on here? What you have in these two parables that we've read are a number of participants involved in a wedding. Now obviously you have a wedding, you have a bridegroom. And obviously you have the bride. Now, the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. The bride is the church. But that's not all that's at a wedding. There are others there also. For example, you have bridesmaids at a wedding. Amen? So all these ladies come down the aisle dressed alike, you know, preceding the bride. And we call this thing a Christian wedding. But, you know, most folks really have no idea why we call it a Christian wedding. But it's a Christian wedding. If you've got a bride, a groom, a preacher, and some bridesmaid, bridesmaids, the best man's the best man and the groomsman, then it's a Christian wedding. Well, why do we call it that? Well, we have the bridegroom, the bride, the bridesmaids. These bridesmaids are the virgins in Matthew chapter twenty-five. The bride got raptured up first. She goes to prepare herself for the wedding. Where does she prepare herself? Ah, she prepares herself at the judgment seat of Christ. So in other words, she can't get to the wedding until she, until she is, and the Old Testament word for it is purified. That was the term. That's what the judgment seat of Christ does. It purifies the bride. Now, once she's purified, that's the first thing that happens to the church when she hits heaven. Uh, uh, in the middle of the tribulation, found in Revelation chapter 10, you then have another rapture. Now, we just are introduced to, to the people who are being raptured in Matthew 25, and it's the ten virgins. Now, if you go to Matthew 24, you have the rapture given in, in verse 40 of Matthew chapter 24. Uh, let's look at that, Matthew chapter 24. Uh, then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. All right, now, what a lot of people do is confuse these two raptures. They make them one. Then they start looking at the two of them in the verses, in the context, and they say, well, there's something wrong with this. They don't match up. But you see, what they don't understand is that it's two different raptures. Revelation 4 is where the bride is being raptured. Matthew 25 is where the bridemaids are being raptured. And you'll see more about that as we go on. Now, who are the bridesmaids? Are they church-age saints? No, they're not church-age saints. The church-age saints are the bride. So then who are these bridesmaids? 
There are tribulation saints, and we'll identify them later, but they're tribulation saints. It's not Jewish. Now, you find this chapter, you find this rapture where? Well, in passages written to a Gentile church. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You say, man, how do you know the difference? It seems so complicated. No, it's really not. It's not complicated at all. The question you have to ask yourself is simply this. Who is it being written to? Who is it being written to? And there's more that can be said about it, but I'm just going to leave it right there. So why must a rapture take place? So that a marriage can take place. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, the church is in heaven. Then she goes through a marriage. Now, people get married. You know, they go through a whole ceremony. You know, you walk into a wedding, and there are ushers standing there. And they, they ask you, uh, are you a friend of the bride or of the bridegroom? You say, well, I'm a friend of the bride. Okay, fine. And we'll sit you on the right, right-hand side of the church. Well, I'm a friend of the groom. Okay, then we'll sit you on the left-hand side. Now, John the Baptist, what did John say about him? He said he wasn't the groom, and he said he wasn't the bride. He said, I'm a friend of the bridegroom. So where does that tradition come from? Right out of John chapter 3. And what John the Baptist said, now who's John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was an Old Testament saint under the law. Now, in a marriage, folks get married, they go through this whole ceremony, you know, then they run out to their car, people throw, well, I mean, I don't know if they, st- they still throw rice or not, but, but they throw whatever they throw, and off they go. Well, where do they go? On a honeymoon, right? On a honeymoon. Now, uh, a honeymoon is typified as a time of rest, acquaintance, and relaxation. It's a time of getting away with just you and your spouse. That's a honeymoon. Now, Jesus Christ marries the church, and he returns with her to a millennial kingdom. And the millennial kingdom is 1,000 years a day of rest. Now, where do people go on their honeymoons? Right? They go someplace beautiful, don't they? Paradise. But what happens? Jesus Christ brings his bride back for a 1,000-year reign on earth. During this 1,000-year reign, the curse is removed from the earth and becomes paradise. 1,000-year honeymoon. The types, man, you just can't get away from them. When you begin to really examine them, you cannot get away from them. In Revelation 19, the the scenario looks like Jesus Christ is going to do all the fighting. But in Joel chapter 2, it looks like his arm is going to do some of it. It's not a fight like a fight. You know, it's like a pleasure because you're a supernatural army. You're a supernatural body. You know, the whole thing is a supernatural kind of affair. All right, folks, what we're going to do here is we're going to take a break. We're going to take uh, our third break of the evening. We're probably going to take four. I think we're making pretty good time on this. Um So we're going to take our third break here. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast. We are discussing Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. We're talking about the rapture. And uh, when we come back from this break, we'll continue on with the second reason why we have to have a rapture. Don't forget, folks, like, subscribe, and share with your friends, your family, and your followers. Help us to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be back right after this. 
It is not fame that I desire, nor stature in my brother's eyes. I pray it's said about my life that I live more to build your name than mine. For the Amen, amen, amen. Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Russiello, and uh, we're going to continue on here with our study of Revelation chapter number four. And uh, I'm going to tell you the second reason why we have to have a rapture, and that is that the tribulation might come. So uh, we have to have a rapture so we can complete a marriage, and uh, we have to have a rapture so that the tribulation might come. So this whole seven-year period of time that we've been talking about, the seven-year tribulation, cannot be introduced until the church, the saint, the child of God is out of here. And there are some really very distinct reasons for that. Now, interestingly, the word love, you know, a very vital word in your Bible, uh, I would think you'd agree with that, a very important word in your Bible, a very critical word, the word love is never stated from chapter 4 to chapter 19. Not one time. The word love is never implied. It's never suggested. It's never hinted at. And you know, the Bible is filled with love. The word, examples, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but man, when you hit Revelation chapter 4 and that church leaves, and until the church comes back in Revelation 19, the word love is never mentioned at. It's never even hinted at. But why do you suppose that is? Because this particular time frame, God is not manifesting his love. God is manifesting wrath. And that's what he's showing toward the world, wrath. Now, there's some people that say, well, I don't believe God could. Well, let me tell you, you ain't seen, you ain't seen anything yet, and you haven't either. I mean, it's going to get pretty tough around here when this time frame hits. So it's all wrath, the wrath of God. Now, a New Testament believer is not destined to experience the wrath of God. If you're a child of God, you are not destined to go through the wrath of God. Now, some confuse tribulation with the tribulation. Just because you're going through tribulation doesn't mean you're going through the tribulation. All saints go through tribulation. You know, a, v- a very popular question is, you know, why do you suppose people have trouble? I mean, the saints, you know, good people, people that love the Lord, why do they have trouble? Why is it that they seem to get kicked in the teeth every time you turn around? I mean, does life seem to go that way on occasion? Yeah, but what does Daniel teach us? Daniel teaches us that the devil wears down the saints any way he can. It's just a wearing down of the saints. It's to get your mind on the routine, the ordinary, the mundane, the regular, you know, on the daily process of living so that you have no time, no energy to set your affections on the things above and not on things of this earth. But don't confuse that with the tribulation because in the tribulation, men are in caves. They're under rocks. They're begging to die and they can't die. 
in the tribulation, they're being bitten by some homogenized wild scorpion creature that comes out of the heart of the earth. They're being tormented for five months. So don't confuse tribulation with the tribulation. You know, a lot of saints have gone through tribulation over the church age. A lot of have. You know, back in the, in the Spanish Inquisition and the days before that, I mean, they would take them and put them in large leather bags, fill them with poisonous snakes and scorpions, and then throw them in the ocean. That's tribulation. But it's not the tribulation. They'd boil them in oil. They'd burn them at the stake. They'd skin them alive. They'd throw them to the lions. They did all kinds of unmentionable things. I mean, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. That's tribulation. That's great tribulation. You know, they, they'd take their babies and dash their brains out on a rock in front of their mothers. That's tribulation. But it's not the tribulation. Because in the midst of that, God finds a way to manifest his love toward people when he says, my grace is sufficient. But in the tribulation, there isn't any love. This is hard stuff. It's real hard. So you say, well, how can I be sure as a child of God I'm not going to go through what's coming? All right, well, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We need a couple of scriptures here to warm your heart on this a little bit, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven. That's what we're doing. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Well, what's the wrath to come? Well, that's the tribulation. We are waiting for Jesus to do what? To deliver us. To deliver us. He's going to take us up and deliver us from the wrath to come. Now, you've been subjected probably to some hard knocks in life. Most people have. I personally am going through the hardest time of my life right now. It's tough. It's hard. It's painful. Hard things. You know, some people have been really kicked around. But you can't confuse it with the tribulation. Not for a minute. All right, let's look at one more. Chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're already in 1 Thessalonians, so I'll just go to chapter 5. And verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when God decides to dump wrath out on this world, and, and all he does now is really just give us little hints of it, to be honest with you. I mean, not real wrath, just hints of it. Now, why does God give hints? Because the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God will give a little hint once in a while. You know, he'll let a volcano blow. He'll let a cyclone hit someplace. You know, he'll allow an earthquake to shake San Francisco or Turkey or Pakistan or Iran, or he'll let, he'll let a hurricane come across the Gulf Coast. You know what I mean? God gives little hints of it, but that's nothing. Now, Jesus told, it would be, told us it would be that way. He said, uh, as the time winds down, he said over in Matthew 24, he said this, he goes, I'm going to tell you all about the signs of this particular time. What's happening is, is we're down toward the end of this church age. You know, we're beginning to get an increase in the signs and, or the indicators that are going to be full-blown when the tribulation comes. Now, Jesus mentioned several of those things. He said, many false Christs in Matthew 24. He said, famine, 
earthquakes in diverse places. And, you know, that's actually an interesting thing, you know, because in the last century, there were 19 major earthquakes in the world. In the century before that, there were nine major earthquakes. The century before that, there were five. In the century before that, there were two. In the century before that, there were three. In the century before that, there were one. There was one. So that's the way it's been going. And when I say a major earthquake, I'm, I'm saying something 6.0 or more on the Richter scale. Now, I, I know they didn't have a Richter scale back all those hundreds of years ago, but you know, kind of looking at what historians wrote about it, you know, and uh, so far in this century, the 21st century, there have been already 19 major earthquakes in the world. 19. In, 19, in 1976, over 850,000 people died in one earthquake in central China alone. In 2004, over 227,000 people died in, in, in the earthquake and the resulting tsunami in Indonesia. You know, and then we, we continue to hear about them. And then just, just last month, there was another earthquake in Turkey. You see, you see what God's saying now? You get over to the middle of the tribulation, and he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He calls one the great one. You know, and we kind of kid and joke about California falling off into the ocean. And you know what? It might. It might. When the great one hits. About a 10 on the Richter scale. And, I, you know, I don't know how many thousand times more a uh, megaton bomb, you know, we're having now is... And, and, and you see all these indicators. It's a big warm-up for the big show. So why do we have to have a rapture? So that Old Testament, Old Testament types may be filled. Let me show you something. Go back to the book of Genesis. Go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 5. Genesis 5, verse 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now, I don't have time to prove this to you right now, but you can, you can check the verses yourself. Uh, the number five in your Bible is the number of death. Every time, every number in your Bible has a significance. Five is the number of death. So isn't it interesting that Genesis 5, verse 5, Adam dies. The first man dies. Let's go to, let's go to verse 8. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. So now how many is that? Adam and Seth, that's two. All right, let's keep count. Verse 11. And the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. All right, that's three. Verse 17. And all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. Okay, that's four. Verse 20. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. All right, verse 21. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. All right, let me see. Did I count right? Six, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, number six. All right, what happens? 
So this guy gets raptured, the sixth man. At the end of 6,000 years, he gets raptured. Now the rapture takes place in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, in which church age? The The Laodicean church age. I don't know why I got stuck on that word today. Laodicean church age. Now, Noah stayed on the ark. And we get into chapter 6, and what do we have? We have God talking to Noah. And he says, okay, Noah. And then this is a bunny trail, I know. Don't let, you know, I know it's a bunny trail, I'm sorry. But uh, don't let anyone ever talk you out of believing in a real universal flood, a real ark, a real Noah, and real animals. Don't ever let anyone talk you out of it. Because, first of all, all the geological evidence supports it. Okay? The average guy that doesn't believe it will always say this. You mean to tell me that Noah took all the animals in the world in pairs, representing their species and so on, and he put them on one boat? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I don't believe it. I don't believe he could have gotten all those animals on one boat. So the best way to handle that is you respond by asking some pertinent questions. Well, do you know how big the boat was? You know, I've I've never found one critic of that story in in the Bible that ever knew how big the boat was. Do you know how many species of animals there are in the world? Nobody knows. I mean, that criticize the Bible. I mean, when you start really thinking about the thing, now, probably the best book on the subject that I've, I've read is called The Flood by a man named Alfred Rywinkle. And what he does is he goes through the dimensions that are given in your Bible of the ark. Do you know what that thing was? It was about the size of a modern-day aircraft carrier. Do you know how big an aircraft carrier is? Have you ever been on one? I've been on one. They're huge. They're huge. Do you know how many men they put on an average aircraft carrier? 5,000 men. 5,000, plus all the equipment, plus who knows how many planes. I mean, it's literally a floating city. I know it's a bunny trail, but you need some ammunition here. The ark was constructed with three floors. One floor was for Noah and his family. One floor was for all the animals. One floor was for the food and stores that they needed. All right, now let me give you an idea. Of all the animals in the world, 70% of the species on the face of the earth is an insect. Now, they're not very big. 70% of everything that lives is an insect. 20% of everything that lives is in the water. You know, fish. They didn't need an ark. 10% of everything that lives is considered to be a mammal. You know, that lives and walks on land. Now, of that 10%, Of all living things, there are something over 1,000 species. And when we say species, we're not talking about subspecies. You know, know, we say dog. You know, we don't say French bulldog. We don't say German shepherd and so on. You know, you take a bunch of dogs, you turn them loose out there, and in 100 years, you're just going to have one kind of dog. You know, we didn't always have quarter horses and Appaloosas and such. You, you get all those breeds out of one species. The average size of the average animal on the earth is the size of an average house cat. That's the average size. 
And you know something else? You know, God may have had enough sense not to send Noah two full-grown elephants. You know, maybe he sent a, uh, a, a couple of baby elephants. But even full-grown, he could have easily accommodated them. You know, think about it. What's an elephant on, the, on, on a boat the size of an aircraft carrier? Easily could have fit them. And don't you find it interesting that they keep launching these scientific expeditions onto Mount Ararat to try to find the ark? I mean, isn't it interesting that that, uh, they showed footage on news broadcasts of what they said were pictures of a boat in the glacier 17,000 feet up on Mount Ararat? Here's what's going to happen. Now, I'm I'm a prophet here, okay? Well, not really, but I'm I'm trying to be one. Here's what's going to happen. Jesus said this in reference to the tribulation. In Matthew 24, and here's what he said in the midst of that chapter. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. That's the second advent. That's when Jesus Christ comes back with his church and establishes his kingdom on earth. So shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So how come the ark has been hid for 4,000 years and all of a sudden they're launching these scientific expeditions You know, if people didn't really believe it exists in the first place? I'll tell you why. They're going to uncover that thing and in the tribulation period, they're going to broadcast that thing all over the world and everyone is going to see it. Why? Because everybody saw it in the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now, isn't it interesting? You know, some other things uh, took place in the days of Noah. You know, the sons of God, which were fallen, angelic, spiritual kinds of beings, came and they saw the daughters of men that they were fair and came unto them, and the result was a race of giants. So what do we have in Genesis chapter 6, just prior to the flood? We have, interestingly, an invasion from outer space. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but America, you know, the world actually, has been programmed to anticipate, eventually, an arrival of some space creatures. Have you been watching the news lately? Hence, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And other movies, like, um, what was the one that came out a couple of years ago? Um, The Fourth Kind, right? Yeah, The Fourth Kind. You're getting programmed. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. All right? What's that got to do with what we're talking about? What does it have to do? What it has to do with is that Noah stayed on the ark during the flood, and the flood is a type of the tribulation. How do I know that? Let's go over to Revelation chapter 12. Remember what we're doing tonight? We're building a launching pad for you to see how all of this dovetails together, how all of this ties together. It's not, um, it's not absolutely beneficial to study the book of Revelation uh, unless you see how the book of Revelation fits in with the rest of the Bible. Okay, Revelation 12, in verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Now the woman in Revelation 12 is Israel. And I'm not going to take the time to show, show that to you now, but we'll... we'll cover it when we get there. So the woman is Israel, and she's given two wings of a great eagle. 
Now, what's the situation in Revelation 12? All right, this woman in verse 6 is fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that she should feed, that he should, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now, curiously, there's there's a word in that verse, and I'm kind of curious as to who it's talking about. And that word is they. Who is the they that feed her in the wilderness? Who's the they? And then in verse 14, she's given two wings of a great eagle. So somehow, in the tribulation, which all of a sudden is receiving all of the wrath of, uh, of the Antichrist uh, that we'll catch up with in Revelation 13, somehow Israel, in the tribulation, uh, when the Antichrist shows up, he relentlessly pursues Israel. You talk about anti-Semitism, this guy makes Hitler look like a school kid. You talk about anti-Semitism, you ain't seen nothing yet. He relentlessly pursues her. She flees into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness area she flees into is the present-day country of Jordan. Now, look back in verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God. That they, And uh, what I'm getting at is I'm wondering who the they is. Haven't answered the question yet where she has a, has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. All right? Now, she, now, here's Israel on the earth in the tribulation. She flees into the wilderness. She needs to be fed and taken care of. She's relentlessly pursued by Antichrist. But there's someone that gives her some partial deliverance. And whatever it is, it's characterized by wings of a great eagle. What's the emblem of our country? The eagle. Interesting. You say, what's the great eagle? I don't know what the great eagle is. I know that there's lots of thoughts out there, and I would say that the United States is a viable possibility, but I don't know what it is. But it's a strong possibility. Because in verse 6, what does it say? They should feed her there. A thousand two hundred threescore days. Now, for that to happen, if it's the United States, you know, we're going to have to have a little bit of a change of heart because we're start we're starting to go anti-Semitic more and more than we're going pro-Semitic in this country. Although historically we've always been pro-Semitic, and who knows what might happen to turn us one way or the other. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, you have the judgment of the nations. At the, end of the, at the end of the tribulation, God gathers all the nations together in a valley outside of Jerusalem. And he gathers the nations together, and he judges them. Now, this isn't an individual judgment. Don't get it confused. This is a national judgment on the nations. And he judges those nations at the conclusion of the Battle of Armageddon. And that judgment is predicated on one thing and one thing only. And you find that over in Matthew chapter 25. And what is that one thing? How they treated Israel. And the ones that treated Israel good are called the sheep nations. The ones that treated Israel badly during this time period only are called the goat nations. 
So somewhere, someone is helping Israel. They. If the great eagle, two wings of a great eagle, is some kind of an indication of an airlift or something by the United States, I honestly don't know. But what's interesting about this is this. When you know a little bit about the Scripture and know these phrases that are in there, it gives you an astute eye as, as you watch current events and the news develop. It gives you an ability to read things into it that the, you know, the, the average guy in the street doesn't have. You begin to look at it and you say, ah, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I wonder what that's about. So there are things to watch. There are things to watch. So what's it for? Verse 14, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Now, from the book of Daniel, we learn that that's three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Now, the serpent in Revelation chapter 12 is defined defined in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So who's the serpent? It's the devil. Now, what does he do in pursuing Israel in the tribulation? Well, look at verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Now, I want you to think about this thing. In Genesis chapter 5, we have a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch being raptured. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. In Genesis chapter 6, the very next chapter, we have the introduction of Noah, who builds an ark, and he and his family get on the ark, and they survive the flood in the ark. Then Jesus uses that as an illustration in talking about the last days, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So he uses that as an illustration. So we have a rapture, and then we have a tribulation, a flood coming across the earth. And only those who survive the tribulation are in the ark. Now, there's not going to be an ark in the next tribulation because there's not going to be a flood, as it was in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, it was a universal flood. In Revelation chapter 12, this is a localized flood. But who is in the ark? But who is the ark? Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 10. He's the ark. So verse 16. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, and interestingly, in the very next chapter, we have the Antichrist showing up. So Noah stays on the ark during the flood, and he's a type of the tribulation saint. Folks, this is important stuff to know. Now you say, well, I'm saved. I'm getting raptured. Well, okay. You need to tell somebody who isn't, though. Amen? Folks, we're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we're going to wrap this whole thing together, and we're going to talk about what to do if you miss the rapture. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast, and we'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Thou callest, I gladly obey. Only direct me 
Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast, folks. This is Joe Ruciello. Uh, we need to take a little break there. My uh, my French bulldogs got into the uh, to the studio here and uh, were being quite a distraction. So we had to we had to let them back out. So sorry about that. Uh, so uh, welcome back to the show. We are uh, discussing Revelation chapter four, Revelation chapter four. And uh, we're going to be in talk, we've been talking about the rapture of the church. We've been talking about uh, why we have to have a rapture. And uh, now we're going to just very briefly get into some points about what to do if you miss the rapture. What to do if you miss the rapture. Now, I want you to look at the thing. Okay, let's look at it. And we're being sarcastic, but we also aren't being sarcastic because the thing is true. All right. Start working your way to heaven. If you're going to miss the rapture, if you are not saved and you are not a child of God, you are not a part of the body of Christ, and you're going to miss the rapture, you better start working your way to heaven. Now, for an individual who misses the rapture, again, they've never trusted Christ. They're not born again. They're not a child of God. Right? The, the rapture takes place. They're still here, strolling on through life. 
The church is exited, uh, and they have lots of explanations for why you might exit, by the way. And even Hollywood has come up with a few. You know, they have come up with gravitational forces out there in the solar system, the alignment of planets, you know, when um, various people on Earth composed of various chemical elements, you know, just the right ingredients, just the right balances. And then all of these gravitational forces are in the right place with the alignment of the planets. And, you know, it's very plausible and conceivable that you could just disappear. I mean, they've already expostulated a lot of that stuff. (laughs) Who's they? The scientific community, you know, unsaved people. So the wheels are in place already to provide a plausible explanation for your disappearance. If it comes that way. Now, of course, there's another possibility that I'm not going to get into tonight um, in this age, um, about this age. But in this age, though, how do you get to heaven? Let me ask you that question. How do you get to heaven? Grace, right? Grace. Grace is defined as the as unmerited favor. Grace is defined as unmerited favor. Now, faith, Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that's why we call it the age of grace. Now, when you trusted Jesus Christ, you were saved by grace. Just grace. You didn't do anything to earn it, did you? No, you didn't. So you get raptured out. Does the age of grace continue? No. No love here. Now it's works. Remember how we examined James 2 and we saw how that uh, a man gets his imputed righteousness by believing, but he gets his justification by works? Now the average concept of the non- or semi-religious or the very religious person today is this. And here's how it works. I'm doing my best. I am doing the best I know how to do. Therefore, when I stand before God, I'm going to submit my works. And I'll say, okay, God, I did my best. I did everything I could. How do I stack up? How do I weigh out in the balances? Now, we know that won't cut it in the church age. Why? Because you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace. But it seems like, as a general rule, people are so bent on working their way to heaven, God's going to give them an opportunity. He'll say, okay, you want to do it that way? Here you go. Now, anyone of this particular opinion always has a despising attitude toward the gospel of grace anyway, so it's time to start living it. Matthew 24, verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Look over in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We were just over there. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now notice the emphasis on the commandments of God. All right, chapter 14, verse 12. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So do you know what it is? It's tribulation salvation. Keep the commandments of God and, what is it? Works and faith. So folks that miss the rapture, the first thing that they need to be critically aware of is that there are some works involved in salvation. Another thing they need to know is that under no set of circumstances should they ever 
take the mark of the beast. Under no circumstances. Chapter 13, verse 17. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understands let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. And you know, folks, I have a lot that I want to tell you, but we don't have much time, so I'm going to try to kind of cram it in here, okay? This number, 666, is a number as old as your Bible. And here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when this thing gets fully activated and the church is removed, the only way you're going to be able to, to merchandise anything buy anything at the grocery store, sell anything. In other words, the only way you're going to be able to live is you're going to have to have that number 666 in your forehead or in your hand. And of course, you know, the technology is already in place for this. You know, they have digital IDs, digital currencies, vaccine passports, you know, pushing the cashless society, microchip implants. Folks, it's all here. Somewhere in, in the coding for all those things will probably be the number 666. So you go to the grocery store. The technology is already there since but the 80s with the barcode scanners. And, and actually, did you see recently that there's a store that you needed to scan a barcode to get in or out of? You know, you line up all your groceries, they get scanned, then you get scanned. No cash, no credit card, no checks. The computer scans you and then checks your bank account, withdraws the money, or the amount of money that's needed to pay for the groceries. You know, now they've conceived this idea and they've been running it out little by little. And the only reason why that it hasn't been completely rolled out yet is because the public isn't ready to accept it. Yet. Yet. So you have the technology in place for this kind of thing. You know, I kind of feel sorry for the saints from 100 years ago who read that passage because, you know, they just had to look at it and say, oh man, you know, how can that be? See, they had to accept it by faith. You and I can accept it by sight because it's right here in front of us. We don't have to exercise faith to believe that. You know, they can assign everybody in the world a number and plug you into a computer. Now, folks, we live in exciting times. We really do. So if you miss the rapture, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. All right, final thing. Final thing. Get fanatical. Die as a martyr. Amen? Die as a martyr. Now, salvation and the tribulation will depend literally on one of two things. Literally one of two things. Enduring to the end, Matthew twenty four thirteen. by not taking the mark, by living literally as a refugee, as an, as, as an animal in the caves like Israel will, you know, ducking and dodging and, and who knows how, uh, and, and don't take the mark. Or dying as a martyr. That's the only way to get saved in the tribulation. Endure to the end or die as a martyr. Now, you, now you're sitting there, you're saying, man, that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy. I know. I know. It really does sound crazy. But you know something? There's a lot of Scripture support what we're talking about. And folks, all of this that we just went through tonight, 
is all just an introduction to Revelation chapter 4. We haven't even passed verse 1 yet. Now, Lord willing, next Thursday, we're going to be getting into the rest of uh, Revelation chapter 4. And it shouldn't be as, uh, as long of a show as uh, tonight was. So I want to thank you so much, folks, for your patience as you went through this study with us. There was a lot of things to cover here, a lot of things to cover. And I do appreciate your patience. I thank you so much for tuning in. And, folks, don't forget to uh, check out our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Sword of the Spirit Podcast, Pat, Sword of the Spirit Podcast.com. Check out our uh, contact section. Send us a message, any questions or comments that you might have. Look for that support this podcast button. And uh, folks, Lord willing, we'll see you here next Thursday. And until then, win the lost, no matter the cost. God bless you and take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day.